Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Titus chapter 2 verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Titus 2, 3-5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves, to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Titus 2, 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Good morning, St. Louis Crossing family. Uh, once again, welcome to our morning worship. I'd like for you to bow with me as we pray and ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Father, we know that you're a great and mighty God and that you're gracious. We also trust that uh, you are working all things together for the good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, we acknowledge that your ways are not our ways, and so we don't understand the time and situation in which we're in, but that's okay. Because we don't need to, we can fully rely on you. Lord, I'm grateful that we have an opportunity uh, that you've made possible through, through so many folks uh, for the preaching of your word. I pray, Lord, that as we sit in our homes and are together with one another, that you would make this uh, glorifying to yourself, that you would make it fruitful in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can there be anything worse in the world than a coronavirus? Is there anything more destructive than this pandemic? I would suggest to you this morning that the answer is yes, there is. 
For a long time, there has been an attack on traditional biblical Christianity and what it teaches. This attack has been carefully planned and executed, and unfortunately, it is in my opinion that the church in general, not necessarily our church, but the Western church particularly, has either been unaware or irresponsible in its duties of protecting the orthodoxy of our faith. We have been the proverbial frog in the kettle. By way of introduction, I'd like to take a few moments to explain why this sermon now and the following sermons in the next few weeks, as Jake has told you about, are portraits of biblical men and women. It's been a practice some time in sermon planning at the end of the year, towards the end of the year, there would be some thoughts, prayerful consideration, and sketched out for the upcoming year. And 2020 was no different. We had no way of knowing that the coronavirus, we, matter of fact, we didn't even know what a coronavirus was. And the thought around planning for this period of time between Mother's Day and Father's Day was this idea of looking at a portrait, a biblical portrait, of men and women in the scriptures. And so, through the lens of the Bible, we were going to look at folks like Ruth and Enoch and Esther and Jacob. This morning, this is basically an introductory message. I also want you to know that, that as we plan, we do so in the spirit of James 4, where James tells us that whatever plans we have, we should do so if the Lord wills. We fully rely on the Holy Spirit to redirect us any time, and so we hold our plans loosely. I'm grateful for those of us that are gathering virtually, and I'm really thankful that there have been some folks that maybe aren't a part of our St. Louis Crossing family that are joining us, and we take that as a, a great honor that you've decided to do that. We pray that God will use his word for his glory, and it would be fruitful for your eternal good. But the preaching at St. Louis Crossing remains the same. You see, what is the forefront in preaching planning is to ensure that we're thinking about and proclaiming and preaching and working through the whole counsel of God. So with that said, we are going to continue to try to proclaim the whole counsel or the whole of Scripture. I want to be transparent regarding our messages forthcoming. Some of them may be expositional. Some of them also may be more topical in nature. However, we will strive, nevertheless, to be biblically accurate. We believe expositional preaching is always the best for any congregation. Working through the text, revealing what the text says, and understanding that, and applying it to our life, and revealing Christ. But we also realize, because of God's grace, there are other types of addresses that are possible in the church as well. With that said, I want to return to a question, and I hope it's provocative in nature. Is there something worse than this pandemic? Please believe me when I tell you that for the Christian, there is. I believe that any time we allow or we abdicate our faith responsibilities, that's dangerous. This morning, we're going to look back. And so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to at least find Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Those are the references. I know that some of you in our St. Louis Crossing family are saying, well, we covered that, and we did. 
But as communication experts say, we're like buckets with holes. And so what we need is a constant stream of communication in order for us to really grasp the message. We did cover these elements, but this morning I want to do it as if you would think about a person making a movie from just a slightly different advantage point. A while back I remember doing a message that I never thought I would ever have to do, and it was on the, theolo- the theology of work. I, I really never thought that anyone would have to talk about the responsibility for believers to work as unto the Lord, because everybody worked. But it seemed a few years ago that this idea of work seemed to be uh, uh, maybe uh, a voluntary or, or something you could opt in or out of, and that just wasn't biblical. This morning, we come to another address, another topic that I'm confident that men who stood in this pulpit in the last 150 years, or men and women who sat in those pews that are here now still vacant, or the people that taught Sunday school, would have never thought in a million years they would have to clarify because it was generally accepted. This morning's intent is to talk about biblical manhood, and biblical womanhood. Please, if you've missed it up to this point, we are followers of Christ. So we need to look at things like men and women, or manhood and womanhood, from a biblical perspective. My message is very simply these three things. God made them male and female. God made them equally in dignity. And God made them with different roles. First, let's look at God made them male and female. Again, mom and dads, you want to make sure you get your Bible and show your children. It's right here in God's Word, chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. If you want to speak about biblical manhood and womanhood, womanhood, the very first thing you want to do is see what the Bible says. And we do not get just 27 verses in the first chapter of the Bible, God's Word, and we see these words, male and female, He, God, created them. You may recognize the name Elizabeth Elliot. Here's what she said on this topic. Throughout the millennia of human history, Up to the past two decades or so, people took for granted the differences between men and women were so obvious as to need no comment. They accepted the way things were. But our easy assumptions have been assailed and confused. We have lost our bearings in the fog of rhetoric about something called equality, So I find myself in an uncomfortable position of having to belabor educated people what once was perfectly obvious to the simplest peasant. You see, we're living in a time, and it's been coming for a very long time, that there are forces which are meticulously plotting out an attack on what we call gender. It was once called what our sex was. We were either male or female. Now this topic of gender is questioned. It's confused. We can, we're told that it can be declared or it could even be changed. 
You see, this idea that gender is some topic that you can kind of decide is clearly an attack on biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Brothers and sisters, and you see, there I go, I'm making reference to you, our church family, in gender-specific terms. The Bible's teaching about this topic is primal, it's basic, it's elementary, it's essential. Let me make my very first point in the most simplistic and obvious way. God, of course, you have to believe there is a creator God. God created, you have to believe in creation, created male and female. It's biblical. It's what God did. When asked about this topic of gender, two of the greatest thinkers in modern Christianity, uh, John Piper, a pastor and a theologian, and Wayne Grudem, a, a definite theologian, said, why do we need to be concerned about this topic? He says there's two things that could take place if we aren't very clear on it. One is that we will see marriage patterns that don't portray the relationship between Christ and his church, because that's what marriage does. And second, we will see parenting practices that do not train boys in masculinity and girls in to be feminine. So stating the very obvious, I want to re reiterate this. This is no longer generally accepted. I would just challenge you to do careful attention to what TV programs you're watching. To, to listen to the news, to, if you still get a newspaper, to read the newspaper, if, you still get, if you're on social media, begin to look at social media and just look at how it portrays men and women to see if they're even talking about men and women. But we want to be very specific this morning in an attempt to preach the whole counsel of God. God created male and female. Second, God created them equal in dignity. Let's go back to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. So as God created mankind, he created them in an image that bears his likeness. Modern day attacks on masculinity and femininity would suggest that a traditional biblical word, worldview is somehow this idea of putting women down or pushing them down or keeping them down in some way elevating men. That's not a biblical picture at all. Or it's also this idea that depicts uh, men as kind of uh, Neanderthals, a doofus, a irresponsible, a lack of intelligence, not in touch with their feelings. And that's not masculinity at all. Nothing in our culture any longer depicts human nature, the human race, as being created in the dignity of God. You see, when we look at people in general, what we should see is creation that represents the dignity of God. Rather, what the world is trying to do is provide another narrative. And there are two competing narratives. The other narrative is this idea that we're just some kind of species like any other, and we're just evolving into something. We're not, in a, we're not in a good position ourselves. We're not in a, in a great place. We're, but we're going to get better someday if we would only evolve. And that's not biblical either. Pastor David Platt suggests that being equal in dignity with God as a creation of male and female is about four things. The very first thing he says, and I'll go through these quickly, is that we resemble God. Now, it's very obvious that we're not like God in a lot of ways. 
But there are ways that we resemble our Creator. You see, our whole makeup and our moral capacities, the intellectual abilities we have, our, our very ability to reason and to love and to forgive and to humble ourselves, all those kind of things resemble our Creator. You see, the, the Bible teaches, the biblical view, is that we resemble our Creator and we're different than any other creation. We're unlike a mountain or a mountain lion. We're different, male and female. We're different as a rock or a rock badger. We're not like either one. We resemble our creator, God. As humans, male and female, we also represent God. When, we are, when the original man and woman, Adam and Eve, were placed in the garden, the creation mandate was to be fruitful and multiply. The reason they were told to be fruitful and multiply, one of the reasons is so they could represent the glory of God, so they could display his image across all of his creation. That way they would represent their maker. We resemble our God. We represent our maker. And the third thing is we have a, a, an ability to relate to our God. I would say it this way. We have the ability to have a relationship with God. That's different than anybody else or anything else. Humans, male and females, both are created with this ability to have a relationship with God. We spent a lot of time in Genesis 2. I won't do it here. If you would like, you could go back and just take a, a, just a very quick read of Genesis 2, and you will see that God placed them in the garden, and he divinely instilled in them a capacity to have a relationship between him and them, between God, Adam, and Eve. So there's no difference in our capacities as male and female to have a relationship with God. And fourth, we also were created equal in our responsibilities. In the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply, and that's more than we want to give credence to, God said to, to fulfill the earth, to be fruitful. Let me say a very basic fact. In order for us to be fruitful and multiply, it still takes a male and a female. The world still has to have a mom and dad. No matter what the world wants to call them, it is still a, a, a possibility, or it still is something that requires a male and a female. I'll leave it there, but that allows us to segue into our third point of the message. God not only created them male and female, not God not only created them equal in his dignity, but God made them for different roles. Again, you will notice I'm going back to the creation account. And when we speak of the roles of men and women, we need to go in light of that creation account. If you turn to the media outlets of this world, you'll see all sorts of distortion of male and female, manhood and womanhood, across the spectrum. I'd like to stop for just a moment and remind you where that distortion comes from. It comes from Genesis chapter 3. This changed in the landscape of humankind when mankind, Adam and Eve, fell. But just because there's a fall doesn't mean that we should uh, not pay attention to how he created man and woman. The original role for men and women 
has been consistent throughout all of Scripture, even post-fall. What we're talking about this morning, about difference of roles, is not that girls cannot hunt and boys cannot bake. Get that foolish thinking out of your minds right now. Girls can hunt and boys can, can bake, and they can both still be, boys can still be masculine and girls can still be feminine in doing those things. It's not about intelligence. It's not about strength. It's not about skills of any type. Biblical manhood and biblical womanhood in light of the creation is based on this. For instance, when God created Adam, he told him, it's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, go with me there. He says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, and he says this, to work it and to keep it. There's a whole couple of sermon volumes around those two things, but I just want to take a quick look at work and keep. Man's role is to work, to, to labor, to cultivate, and to tend. It lines up with our creation mandate of culturing and tending the garden. Pastor Richard Phelps, Phillips says that there's a misconception that women are the nurturers and that men are not. And he says that's just not true. When we are working, we're, we're not over only laboring and striving and, and doing the physical work, but we're cultivating and tending the garden. And whenever we tend, the same word for tending is nurturing. So men, this morning, let me say very simply to you, your job as the man of your home, as the leader of your home, is to nurture your family, to cultivate them, and to tend them, and to nurture them. The second role for man, a biblical man, is to keep. The word could be watch, guard, or protect. It's man's primary role to keep the garden safe, to guard it from anything that would threaten it. Not only to plow it, if you will, but also to protect it with the sword. So man's role, as the God-given role given to him, is to keep or watch or protect the family, and I would add the church. Now women. This is the place I face the message with the most trepidation. What I'm about to say is going to fly directly in the face from everything the world is attempting to teach us. But you see, that doesn't matter. I'm a father of two daughters, and I have granddaughters. And as I was thinking through this message, I thought, what is the best way, and I'm going to use my words carefully, the best way to honor womanhood, to elevate women? The best way to honor or elevate anything, including womanhood, is from a biblical perspective. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, follow along in your Bibles, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper 
fit for him. Did you notice that? It's the only time in our creation account that God had anything like that to say. God looked at it and said, in other words, my creation is lacking one more piece of the puzzle. It's the woman. Again, you can look at the creation account, see how woman was created. And I do believe the biblical account in Genesis is the accurate way. The point I'm making here is the role of the woman is to complete the picture. To come along aside the man and complete the unit to help them together accomplish God's call and task in their lives. Many, many biblical commentators that I trust, as I researched this topic, suggested that the role of women is more about her disposition than a specific activity. And I want to stay with that this morning. Modern-day feminism tells women to be concerned about themselves, that they should pursue their own fulfillment and freedom and significance. The biblical view, though, tells women to be more concerned about displaying the glory of God in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and live their ends to that end. Again, I want to say some things. It's not about strengths and weaknesses, this difference between men and women. It's not about superiority or inferiority. It's about the union that allows the differences and uniqueness of men and women to be complete. And so there's, there's some is greater than what they would be as individual lives. It's when they come together to do what God calls them to do, to be fruitful and multiply. The idea comes from that a male and female reflect the unity and the working of the Trinity. I don't have time to reflect that, but that's, that's taught through Scripture uh, when we talk about the Trinity, the Godhead, they're, they're co-equal, but they also have different roles. So we see God the Son submitting to God the Father. He's equal with him. That's an, an example, but yet they have different roles. Then there's also the illustration of Christ in the church. This man and woman union uh, is, is the way that, that Christ relates to his church. But those are a couple of other illustrations of what we're talking about. I like to think of it a, a little lighter, though. I got thinking about this. Men and women are together are better, sort of like peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter is good and jelly is good, but when you put them together, they're great. Or eggs and bacon. Eggs are good and bacon are good, but when you put eggs and bacon together, they're really good. I also got thinking about sand and water. You got sand and it's okay, and water's necessary. But, but when you combine sand and water, you create a beautiful beach. And so the picture is more glorious than they are independent. You get the point. It's just a little lighter way of doing it. I want to speak a bit personally, though. I'm fearful that some may see this in a, in a different way than it was intended. On my dad's side of my life, my grandmother lost her husband in a terrific tragic accident when both my father and my uncle were young boys or men. That greatly impacted my grandmother for the remainder of her life. She never remarried, and I've never heard that she ever entertained the company of another man. I, to my knowledge, she didn't. What I'm trying to tell you is, is, is my grandmother was a single mom. But I want to tell you that she demonstrated biblical womanhood. She was smart. She was strong. She was intelligent. 
She was hardworking. She was devoted. And she loved the Lord. Was my grandmother perfect? Absolutely not. She had a lot of imperfections. But I wanted you to understand that she understood the role of a biblical woman and a biblical man. She was doing both roles of a, of a dad and mom. And she did a pretty good job, in my opinion. And I'm grateful for her, her role. I think I'm where I'm at in my faith because of my grandmother's role. So if you think for a moment that this idea of men and women and how the woman's to help the man and complete the union and all that kind of same thing is some egotistical maniac of a male perspective of being a dictator and authoritative rule, you're sadly mistaken. It's about being biblical. It's about looking at men and women in light of the Bible so we can live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm conjecturing a bit, but I believe my father and my uncle were able to see biblical manhood from my great-grandfather, their grandfather, who I, by the way, knew. The men in their church, and I, on a side note, their church was the central focus of their life. And there's a sermon in of itself. The men in the church demonstrated biblical manhood, men in the community. My grandmother didn't think she had to do it all. She knew she was limited because she was a biblical woman. But that did not, that did not stop her from allowing other people, men in the church, uh, her father, their grandfather, to demonstrate biblical manhood. And by God's goodness, his sovereign grace, and the providential care of God, they survived and did well. What I'm trying to get to is we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about which gender is the smartest. Because I know a lot more smarter women sometimes than men. We're talking about this completed picture. I'm glad there's been both men and women in my life. I'm glad that I grew up in a time where the distinctions were noticeable. And we, we actually took them for granted because there was no reason to question them. So as I conclude this morning... I want to conclude with what are our takeaways? God created the male and female. It's obvious. They're equal in dignity. Men and women in a church, brothers and sisters, you're equal in God's eyes in dignity and worth before God. But you do have different roles. So the takeaway this morning is this. Whenever we're talking about these kind of topics, we must recommit ourselves to what the Bible says. We are people of the book. Second, we must Commit ourselves to being what God's created us to be and doing that in a manner that would bring him glory. So if God's created you male, glorify him. If God's created you female, then be a woman that glorifies God. Third, we must desire to be Christ-like in our respective gender roles. One of the scripture readings that you've seen on the video this morning was Titus 2. It speaks of older men to younger men and older women to younger women. Uh, Proverbs 31 is another uh, passage that comes to mind. Uh, read about what a Proverbs 31 woman is. Ephesians 5, men, is a great thing. The Ephesians 5 and 6, it just talks about how we're to be husbands and, and fathers in a biblical way.
There are things that believers must do. All believers, like love others, make disciples. But there are things that specifically biblical men should do. Ephesians 5 or 6. Uh, there's things that biblical women should attend to. Proverbs 31 or Titus 2. How do you do that? That leads me to our fourth takeaway. And if I have anything to say to you this morning as we leave, it's that we need to ensure that we pass this along. Make no mistake, biblical manhood and biblical womanhood is under attack. The Christian thought of how men and women are to relate to each other is not what you're going to gain from the outside world. That's why in Deuteronomy 6, another verse that you heard read this morning, says you should teach them diligently to your children. Finally, the reason this topic is so tough is because of the distortion of sin. We will never be a completed person until we are reconciled with the holy God. The distortion of sin has created us as actual enemies with God. But the good news is, just as the fall described our, our uh, position as enemies to God, the fall of sin and mankind, Genesis 3 also foreshadowed the good news. The wrath of God has been satisfied and turned away from us because it was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died in our place. He died in your place. And so he bore the wrath of God so you can have a perfect relationship with your heavenly Father. Not because of what we've done, solely because of what he has done through his life, his death, and his resurrection. It is by grace alone of what Christ did that we should place our faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, living what the scriptures say and really concerning ourselves only with what the scriptures say so we can glorify God alone. Said another way, the gospel blessing of salvation through Jesus Christ leads us to gospel commandments, how men are to behave and live and what roles they're to play and how women are to live and behave and what roles they play in God's creation. And when we as men and women come under the blessing of the gospel and we follow the gospel commands, here's the beautiful thing. We reveal a beautiful picture of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity it provides in a topic like men and women, like manhood and womanhood. Father, I know I fail so much in my role. I pray that you would help encourage the men of this church and the women of this church to look carefully at the word that you've given us so we can live in light of the gospel in a manner worthy of the gospel to the glory of you, the God of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.